and welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with homemaking mentor Alice Engelstead about the practical and spiritual art of tending your nest. We dive into strategies for building our inner stability, creating harmony in the home, and having the courage to go deep into our belief systems so that we can heal and change. I personally learned so much from this interview, and my hope is that it brings you comfort and inspiration in these times of great upheaval. It certainly has helped me to reframe my family's quarantine time as less about confinement and more about an opportunity to grow our inner resources and explore depth of being. I'd like to send a big thank you to Jeannie Kirk, our newest Patreon subscriber. Thank you all for listening and supporting the show. Your contributions truly make Moonwise possible. Please join us at patreon.com slash moonwise, where I'm sharing wellness guides and lots more. Okay, on with our show. Alice Engelstead holds the integrity of the hearth, supporting individuals and families in all practical and spiritual aspects of homemaking. She delivers four carefully curated offerings at Tend the Nest, where she cleanses hearts and spaces, guiding people to a different relationship with themselves, places, and things through gentleness, gratitude, and honor. For all of her offerings, she draws upon her rich Inupiaq and Norwegian heritage for guidance. Alice is a Portland native, educator, parent, and healer who's raised a son named Sam, three dogs, 11 chickens, and one very small pig. She's a master Waldorf early childhood educator trained in mindfulness, self-compassion, and sacred practices. Hi, Alice. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here and, and talk to you a little bit about this work. We were chatting a little before I hit record here, and I was confiding in you that I was really sitting with how to approach this conversation, given all that's happening in the world and wondering, you know, where does that piece of going within to find stability and, and bringing a sense of peace in our own homes, how does that happen with a world that's in so much turmoil? And I'm really excited to dive into that with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's such a good question. And uh, to be honest, I was having those same thoughts, feelings, and wonderings. And then really the other day, um, I woke up, I literally got out of the shower to write down some things that I was feeling and thinking. I think sometimes I do my best thinking in the shower. But what I came to was that, wow, this actually really is relevant because this work invites people to go inside and see what's there and why. And it takes courage really to awaken to the light of our own true nature is what I like to say. But I feel right now more than ever that must be our prayer, if you will. We have to dive beneath the surface and have the courage for the truth of who we are, how we are, why we are, and look at our belief systems. And um, whatever we see, discover, and find, we must say yes, like this big resounding yes, yes to all of it, yes to all of the parts of ourselves. Because when we discover what's there and we respond with no, or we become silent, or we stop seeing, we, we stop listening, and we turn away. And when we do that, there's no possibility of change and healing that which is within us. 
when we don't, and when we don't heal that, then we tend to project it outwards, right? So I think this is actually a perfect time to look and talk about my work and why it's so important right now, uh, because those are truly, um, if you will, the tenets of my work and what, what ends up happening in that. So I just want to say, too, just to go on a little bit further here, if that's okay, that in practical terms, however, my work might look like we're organizing jars, but that's sort of the red herring, right? It's about the here and now and an invitation to go deeper. We're actually practicing with the objects, the jars, you know, in this example. For example, if we're just talking about one of my offerings, which would be order, the offering of order. Um, But we're just practicing so that we can attune ourselves to what is within. Yeah, I would love to, to go into in more detail sort of like what you do offer in your work and what is maybe the through line throughout. And I know on your website, it talks about the practical and spiritual aspects of homemaking. And for me that I was so excited to hear it phrased that way, um, the spiritual aspects of homemaking, because often, um, you know, in the culture that I was raised here in America, there wasn't a lot of pride and joy storytelling around being a homemaker. And it was something that I've just loved my whole life, but I also felt like almost like ashamed, like, like, am I a feminist if I love being a homemaker? So it's, there's a lot obviously of history and context for what our mothers and grandmothers have gone through. But yeah, I just, I love how you frame that. And I'm so curious to learn more. Yeah. Thank you. So really homemaking to me is about tending all aspects of our nests, if you will. (laughs) I, I tend to use that metaphor. So self family and community. Um, and all of those things are within the four offerings that I focus on, for example. And, and I consider all of those things, say, uh, bless, order, you know, if we're going to go through what I have, hold, honor. Um, but the nest itself, our homes, is really a womb, if you will. So a nest if you're taking, a, for example, a nest, in, uh, a nest is a womb in nature. So a bird's nest is actually a womb in nature. Um, Carl Koenig talks about this quite a bit in his book, Eternal Childhood. It's just, it's one of my favorite, my favorite things here. Um, my favorite books. I'm just kind of, there it is. <laughs> anyway, um, so really his, his talk about the nest being a womb really spoke to me. Um, And building our nest is just as important in the animal kingdom, of course, but it's just more refined. As humans, it's it's more refined. So homemaking is creating safety and beauty in your nest, if you will, while understanding and reconnecting to ourselves and to our inherent goodness. and then many gifts cascade from that connection, right? So creativity, room for creativity, authenticity, compassion, reverence, joy. And so as you see it, it, it kind of is all connected from the inner work that one does to the, the womb space of your home and then extends out to your community as well. Yes, yes, exactly. So just speaking in terms of this offering that I have of order, for example, and, and I, I, I want to talk about that here uh, a little bit, speak to that a little bit, because um, 
because it's what I've just recently been doing with someone uh, virtually of all things. Uh, I had a person ask me if I would do it with him virtually. And I said, okay, let's try this experiment. And it, it worked out beautifully. I learned so much and then even just so much about myself. So I want to talk about that a little bit in terms of this homemaking, because, um, Really, I, I had a friend say to me, the objects are an avatar of some aspects of ourselves, of some aspect of ourselves. And when I go into work with people, I, I don't I don't begin by talking about this. This just happens and unfolds naturally. So, for example, if I'm telling you that um, if you're hiring me for work or someone wants to work with me, um, and by the way, I do want to say that the work that I do, people can do on their own. They can do it on their own, but I am there to definitely help people should they want guidance or help with that. Um, so it, it is something that we all have within us to do. It's just, you know, can we, do we want to do that work or whatnot? Anyway, sorry, back to what I was saying. Um, so by telling people that, you know, at, at the onset that, you know, you're going to go deep inside and you're going to look at some things that might be hard for you to look at. That's kind of giving someone the whole dollar's worth, if you will. And some people only really want 50 cents, as I like to say, and that's okay. Sometimes they're not ready to do that and I'll respect that. And, you know, so most people don't know this is where it leads. Um, it leads to this, and it's a wonderful thing to witness a client receiving those unexpected gifts of insight. And when it happens, it's actually they're okay and they're very happy with it. So, and I, I believe that, it, you know, in this work, it, we have, uh, you know, how this work is relevant, once again, is that we really do have a deep need con to connect with ourselves, to connect with our inherent goodness and move beyond what I feel is this tired intolerance for the superficial. So if we're willing, right, <laughs> the work, the work really helps us to understand ourselves and our behaviors that lead to choices and lead to things that are actually in our home. And yeah, so, and by looking at that, we can move into leading purposeful, authentic lives, supporting, supported really by a working understanding and a reverence for all things. And I, I work on that on a daily basis. It's, this is, some of it has come naturally to me, but it is something that a person has to work at. Do you find that there are objects in people's homes that stand for things that are in fact holding them back or keeping them small or making them feel guilty, things like that? And do you see clearings happen when they let go of that need to hold on to it? Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. So oftentimes it's, there's this attachment to the past, right? Or anxiety about the future, or sometimes, um, you know, holding on to something because we think it's going to give us more stability, but really it's what, what people find is that it's the opposite. The opposite is true. Actually, there's more stability. There is more, um, security upon letting go of our grip. You know, I've, heard, and I don't know who uh, came up with this or found this, but that often a response to trauma is hoarding. And it actually makes me think about 
American culture quite a bit, given the traumatic way in which our country was founded. And it really makes me wonder if that could be one of the reasons why we have focused so heavily on material things, on uh, kind of false senses of security, insurance, like fences, that kind of mentality. Oh, yeah. I, I think about that quite a bit. You know, I have to say that that traveling out outside of the United States really opened to my eyes to the size of the American home and what it's for in by comparison. And really, when I think about it, this uh, most often the if you want to call it the required home size in America is really based on how much stuff we have. It's so it can hold our stuff. It's not actually it's not the actual to hold the actual family members oftentimes right and i there are you know i can i can think immediately of homes uh <laughs> i want to be sensitive to this but you know homes around me people within my family that have homes that are there's there could be only one person living in there but the the addition that was built onto the home is actually to hold stuff you know and it's sometimes it's a way of I, you know, I think that perhaps we have forgotten how to connect. How do we connect to people? Instead, we're trying to connect to these things. And we think this thing is going to fill up this hole that we have inside of us when really that thing is not going to fill that hole. Exactly. And I find the same happens also with things like social media, where there's like this desire to connect, but not a real connection. And so we're left hungrier than we were before. Right, right. We just have to be so careful of that and to really check in with, how, you know, how, how are we showing up in the world? You know, how, how am I showing up to myself? How am I showing up, you know, for my, to myself, for myself, for my family, for my kids? You know, what are, they, what are they witnessing? What are they saying I'm doing? How am I showing up for my community? And what is, you know, what does that really look like? And sometimes to be able to take the steps to look at that, you know, um, it, it does require going inside and having a practice of like, all right, I'm going to sit with this. I'm going to sit and look at, you know, and, and do a little self-examination. Well, I'm so fascinated about this idea of the home as a womb space, like a nest. And that just, I, I'm so captivated by that. And I know that people do do uh, womb clearing practices. And so it makes me think about decluttering and what your experience is around what that does for the creative energy of a person and a home to declutter. Yeah. Well, it really, it, it opens the space inside of a person for more creativity. Really all of the things around us that we have around us, they, they do hold energy. I think of, uh, you know, the objects themselves hold energy and oftentimes uh, the space itself does hold energy. I think of it like dust, if you will. And it does need to be cleansed and cleared um, because it, it can feel weighty. Um, I, I wanted to say, too, the interesting thing about uh, just a little <clears throat> backstory about the nest. Um, I used to have quite a large, and I still do actually have a large bird nest connect collection. And this started um, when I was an early childhood educator and I just happened to find these nests, right? And they, I just, I don't know, I guess I was 
a little magnet for nests or something. But then I really began to look at the nests and think about them, about what are these and why. And and then people began to give me nests. So I had this large con- collection, right? Um, and then as I really studied nesting, not just in birds, but all creatures, you know, all creatures, what what is their nest, if you will, and why? And what happens... Uh, and I, and I, I, well, I began to really love the metaphor of a bird's nest in particular. And um, if you think about it, our womb, the, 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 the human womb is a nest, if you will, as well, if you turn it that way. It is, it is a, you know, turn it around on the other, the other side of it, where I, where I say the nest is a womb. Well, the womb is also a nest. And then the, the child is birthed and is then brought into the nest of, say, a small room, which can be the room of the adults where this newborn babe rests. And then after that, after a while, the nest gets larger and the child is then um, begins to organize themselves to the entire household, to the space of this house, which is a larger nest. And then it expands even further into um, family outside of the house, you know, family and community and the neighborhood and then their starting school. So this nest, this container gets larger and larger. And I really think about it like that, that it is this womb. It is this container that never goes away. It just simply gets larger. Really, I think what happens when we're talking about... uh, for example, the things in our home or energy in our home. Um, I did have a, a friend say to me, actually, Alice, what you're doing is object therapy. And I said, what? They said, yes, object therapy. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I guess it is because we do focus on the objects a lot. But what happens is, is that uh, for me, the biggest gain out of all of this is that we become clear about who we are you know, who we are and what's more important than being present to the lives we have in the moment, knowing who we are. Yeah. I'm curious about when you talk about being present, is there a sense that often people are getting pulled out of the present by the way in which they've oriented their homes or the way in which their daily routines go about without a lot of conscious intent behind it? Yes, for sure. And sometimes it is. Um, I, I experience that all of the time myself, and I bring myself back uh, as much as I can remember. I mean, and I, I see this with other people as well. And oftentimes, if we can't, if I can say, for example, just with a family, um, I'll, uh, many times there's just a complete lack of rhythm. And it's all for good reason. It's good. There are good intentions behind that. The parents, you know, I love my child. I don't want to interfere with their freedom. I want them to be able to do what they want to do. But oftentimes those lack of boundaries in that way or that lack of of a rhythm can be that child's undoing because they, they're actually needing that. They, they need to have uh, things in their home, you know, so in other words, uh, toys, for example, everything has its home. And the reason is, uh, just, you know, where I can take, draw this back to is the early childhood kindergarten in a Waldorf kindergarten is when the child comes in first thing in the morning, they see all of the toys that they play with on a daily basis in their rightful place. And the sense that arises in the child is all is well. All is well in the world. And that is what we want for our 
children. We're not, we're not trying to deny what is actually happening in the world right now, but you want them to come to their nest if it's in their home, if it's the kindergarten, and to experience a sense of all is well in the world. And oftentimes in our busy lives as adults, we forget, you know, we, we, we take shortcuts and, and we forget to just stop for a moment and, and have a meaningful pause to be able to listen and observe our children and ourselves and our own breath to see what is the next step versus just kind of like plowing through. Uh-huh. I've really found that, especially during this quarantine time with so much uncertainty around almost every aspect of our lives, I've found such incredible comfort in making my bed every morning and having routines that I know at this time, like with my son, I'm like at every day at 11, we have outside time, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny, but I I can wake up in the morning just feeling pretty lousy to be honest and really just like, Oh gosh, here we are. And then by the time I've made my bed and gotten into that daily rhythm, it's really helps me. It really uplifts my spirit. And it is, it does give that sense. And perhaps it's my inner child of like, all is well, well, my bed's made. So something must be going right today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's also this thing again, it's that it brings us this, again, I was talking about, um, you know, that we basically, by doing this work, that we move into leading purposeful and authentic lives that's supported by a working understanding and truly a reverence for all things. So you're talking about reverence there. You know, so when you're making your bed, it's like you are taking that up with care and with reverence. And so, and also, you know, if your son is observing you doing that, he's getting that too, which is beautiful because they, at, at you know, uh, depending on his age, that young child is coming out of imitation. So they are watching and observing and that he, he's, he's, he's living that experience with you and he will take that into his world. Mm-hmm. Um, so really that reverence is so important and a, a reverence for for all things, even if it's something that you don't enjoy doing, a task that you don't enjoy doing, to take it up and to just be aware that, oh, I really don't like wiping the table. I really don't like doing this. Just to, and, and because by just being aware of it and again, not pushing it away, saying, yes, yes, that's true about me right now. Maybe one day I will, maybe one day I won't. But just really taking it up and um, moving through it with awareness and reverence. Well, speaking of reverence, that really brings me to my next question, which I've been so curious about your perspective on making your home a sacred space for your child. And you've touched on this a little bit. And for those who don't have children, you know, how, how do we make a sacred space also for perhaps our inner child or, you know, how do we, how do we, yeah, make our home a sanctuary? Yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, the thing I like to say is reform begins at home, of course, (laughs) and it can be a metaphor or not. But so I can talk about this by talking about um, your literal child or your inner child. And really, because uh, we can't really have um, 
the change really has to come within us at first before it can be birthed in our home, right? And like I said, the children are working out of imitation. So what a beautiful opportunity, right? So they, it's not so much what you say, it's really about what you are doing. That is so true. So really for us as adults, it's by, um, you know, bringing in little spaces of presence within your day spaciousness. It's basically spaciousness into your life, right? And because without it, someone told me without that, it's like having a room crammed with furniture. So you have to bring in these little bits of spaciousness in your life. And so with all of these things that I'm going to say here, remember your child is watching you and this is what they will learn. Oh, I too can bring spaciousness into my life. It's okay for me to stop and not do. Um, and to also to really remember taking note of your own inherent goodness each day and to remember the other person's. And that, that is something I just want to say that I just give a shout out to the Presence Collective and Caverly Morgan, because I really learned that and, and uh, still continue to practice it. Life is a practice, right? But I really learned that through the Presence Collective and through my, my time um, working with Caverly Morgan, um, and meditating. So I just want to say that. Um, and uh, really bringing awareness to your internal dialogue. These are ways, truly ways to start at home to bring this peace into your home. Have an awareness of your internal dialogue, of the negativity that is there. Typically there, we have a, ne a negative bias, right? A negativity bias. And, you know, what is your self-talk around parenting, Right? What is that self-talk around parenting? Because to, for most of us, it's, we're usually pretty harsh on ourselves. And so if we let that go, if we have this ability to just stop for a moment, to have the awareness that we're having negative self-talk, for example, around our parenting, and we just pause and say, oh, yes, there you are. Hello. And actually, here's who I am. And here's who I'm bringing forward today. And... Um, then it begins to shift and change. And then those practical aspects begin to come in, right? We, we can bring in more levity, flexibility. We, we see the value of a rhythm within our household. Here's our meal times. Here are our bedtimes. Here's, because not only does it nourish us as parents, but it nourishes the children. Um, and also just a couple other things just to, you know, learning to distinguish between the essential and the non-essential. I think a lot of parents are usually pretty good at doing that. <laughs> <laughs> We're really doing that. And then um, I have to say, you know, for myself, um, I do make space um, for meditative practices and these really speak to me. And um, a lot of them have come from... Um, Homemaking and Spiritual Development by Veronica Van Deen, um, as well as The Spiritual Tasks of the Homemaker. Those are two books that I have really leaned on quite a bit. And those, that, those spiritual and meditative practices that I have pulled from, you know, basically digesting those books and then feeling really what's important to me in my own life and and what, uh, I guess I want to say who I am, what really works for me. Um, 
And so I do, I do this, you know, do things morning and evening, you know, some type of meditative practice. It's, it's not some type of, it's actually pretty like, here are the things I do, but it actually helps me. It helps me and, and it helps me feel grounded and, and ready for my day and present to the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I find it so interesting that you talk about spaciousness as well as rhythm in the same breath, because for some parts of my life, I felt resistance to a sense of having a specific time for things is maybe associated with discipline or rigidity or something like that. And yet what I find in my own life is that when I do have those moments of pause or knowing like, oh, at five o'clock, I'm going to have that cup of tea. It actually creates way more spaciousness and more of a sense of freedom within a structure that's actually very reassuring and honestly not limiting feeling at all. I, I, I seem to have more time to do all the things I want to do and time to just be with the structure. So I find that interesting. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I've had, there were times when I really had a lot of back and forth with that as well. Like, well, wait a minute, am I being too, too rigid here? And so there was this practice that I did for a long time, actually. And it was that the one thing I didn't do was make my bed (laughs) just so that I could feel like there, am I being OCD? What am I doing? And, And it was really this moment for me to touch in with, okay, what's going on here? You know? Um, and it was sort of my, this rebellious side where I thought, no, look, everything is not perfect. But then I realized, actually, this is not about perfection at all. And it's not about rigidity because we cannot be self-compassionate if we are practicing perfectionism. Those, those two things are, they're, they're like two pieces of sandpaper rubbing up against one another, right? Yeah. So I, I think that it is okay to have, to have a rhythm and to have rhythms that are nourishing, that there's, that are, um, that there's levity within it and that we are able to, um, you know, have humility for our shortcomings if we want to see them that way and, and to look at it as an opportunity to do it differently the next time. Gosh, yes, there's so many things I could say about it <laughs> again. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, and people have different personalities, of course, and different things that really nourish them. For example, I've been doing a lot of crafts during quarantine and some friends have been like, oh man, I feel bad I'm not doing that with my kids. And I'm like, yes, but you're cooking with your kids and that's what brings you joy. So it's, it's I, I just want to emphasize that it's not like a comparison game or like a beating us up if we're not like, meditating a ton, like maybe it is that cup of tea or maybe it's, you know, checking on your roses or, you know, it could be so many things. Oh, I can't, I couldn't agree more. And you know what, here's the deal is the meditation piece works for me because my son is in college. <laughs> and I don't have a small child in the house. And that's not, that was not possible when I had a small child in the house. It's just not. And I think it's so, so beautiful that, that, um, 
that you can remember that, yeah, it's just whatever, whatever's true for you and whatever your gifts are, you know, focus on your gifts and what it is you have and lean into your indigeneity if that's what it is. And, and that is also important every, and they, those practices just have to be, have to be respected. I mean, because if you are coming from a place of comparison, it's going to be empty and without joy. It, it really is. Yeah. I'm curious about the practice of remembering your inherent goodness and the goodness of those around you. And can you tell me more about that? I would love to hear about it. Well, for me, remembering my own goodness starts with an aware, it can only start with an awareness of the fact that a lot of the time I am thinking, I, I am, I'm thinking about, um, having an awareness of my own self-talk and then being gentle with myself when that comes up and giving myself reassurances of like, you know what? It's okay. You've got this. You've got this. I love you. I love you no matter what. There's nothing that you can do in this world, Alice, that is going to make me hate you. So it is really starting with things like that. I know that may sound hokey to some people, but I have to go there some days, right? And to, when I hear that that negative self-talk saying, oh, there's that little monkey. There it is. I see you, you know? And so starting there is really practicing kindness with myself and giving myself again that moment to realize that, oh, this is a moment to remember that I'm actually good. I'm actually good. And you know, this person who may be triggering me, say, um, is actually good as well. Remembering the inherent goodness of someone else is really seeing them. For me, it's when I see them as a human being. I see them as a human being versus someone that's doing something to me. Because when I start thinking of that that person is doing something to me, it's, that's actually a, a red flag that um, that's my own wound and that there's some trauma there that I need to look at. That's, that's the truth of that. And so it seems like from all the things that you work on and talk about and, and help people with, the through line really does feel like this kindness almost as if the kindness is a nest in which we create a container for ourselves to be kind to ourselves, to our, our bodies as, as, as animal beings that need a soft bed to lie on and food to eat in, in a safe home. And yeah, I just, I, I love the feeling I get from hearing you talk about life because it feels very held. Yeah. And it's, it's not just, um, you know, I'm, it's also important that we don't see life through, you know, a monocle or something either, because to be able to, I think to be able to live in a, in a full and on whole way, there has to be an understanding that everything is so, is intricately connected. We are, you know, we're connected to everything, you know, and, and I have a very deep connection to nature, for example. And, and so in order for me to be whole and happy, centered and grounded, it's really important for me to be outside, to go outside, to take off my shoes, to stand on the little piece of grass I have in my backyard, you know, to whatever it is, if that's where I am, to be able to do that and to connect 
with what I call the moreness of life. Um, that's just what I've always said, the moreness of life <laughs> and to connect there and to, and, and through that, I remember my humanness. So it's, it's about finding your connections with whatever part of life you really resonate with or feel something for outside of just your own sort of like I perspective. From a very young age, I really resonated with, with, uh, nature. Um, basically when I was not in school, when my sister and I were not in school, we spent our time outdoors and we came home when our parents called us for dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. And even looking through boxes of the few boxes of belongings that I have from my childhood, there are sticks, there's barks, you know, pieces of bark, stones, flowers, shells, there's all this stuff. And I've always just had this connection. And I, I know now as an adult that that, that connection is actually, it's, it, it, it's, I can say a couple of things. It is really through my indigenous bloodline, but it is also through my, you know, my, um, I want to say like my bloodline of just being a human and being a part of this earth. So somehow I'm trying to connect that to that actually allows me to connect knowing that I'm, a, I'm a part of something very large and that which I do not completely understand actually allows me to feel less separation and to feel, um, grounded in my home. Mm -hmm. But I have, but I have to be able to touch on those things outside of me to allow me to feel that. I hope that made some sort of sense. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's an orientation where you know who you are based on what you're connected to outside of yourself and your home that kind of can bring you back into a place of knowing where you are in the grander scheme of things. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm. But I think just kind of back to what you were saying about, you know, kindness, um, is that really the, the premise, I want to say the premise of my work always does come back down to kindness, right? Kindness to ourselves, to all beings, to the earth, to other humans. And this, what I love about this is that this is what's underneath and holds up the container of my work, if you will, if that makes sense, you know, cause here, here I, I can present it as a certain way online, but here's what you get, you know, mm -hmm. and it really begins in our childhood and how we are raised this piece of kindness, right? It's the small things matter in our lives and they build on what I, what I call, they build the muscle strength of how we move forward in the world, depending on what our childhood was like, you know? So we, again, um, for using the example of the Waldorf kindergarten, you know, we, we begin, those children begin by caring for their things. So they hang their coats by themselves. They put their shoes two by two. They learn to brush their own hair. And then that leads to how they care for other people's things, and that for, and for the classroom, for example, it leads to how they care for other humans. It leads to how they care for creatures and nature. And that, that all of this is modeled by, by caregivers, right? Whoever that is, it can be a teacher, it can be 
someone in the community. It can be a parent, a parental figure. And, and so the, the kindness piece, I believe is an important base. And you can learn how to do this later in life <laughs> too. The, the path is a little steeper, but you can learn. It made me think of when my son was so very small, he would joyfully greet the chair, the lamp, like, good morning, tree, good morning, like, hi, flower, hi, bed, you know, and it's like, it is, it is almost inherent in our humanity to find a certain sense of connection with no matter what it is and want to, want to connect. And then hopefully we can reawaken that if we haven't been feeling that for a while. Right. And I think, and this is another big thing, and I, I really feel like most children understand this connection and this, um, this, the thing that, or the piece that, you know, all things are living and alive. And um, as a child myself, I remember in the lower school um, having lunch and not wanting, it was that we were at the end of lunch, it was done. And I did not want to throw away my napkin because I felt bad for it. And I know that's sort of this sort of like a silly thing, but I so remember like having this care for it. And again, I know just for example, both of my family lineages have deep rituals steeped in the natural world, you know, and farming, tending the earth, herding reindeer. And it's, it's, they've always had like this strong belief um, that all things have a spirit, you know, animals, streams, stones, land, paper napkins, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and all of these things are in, in, not in just my blood, I feel like, but I feel like it's in a lot of people's blood, you know, this, this piece. And maybe if, if, if all humans or many humans did feel something about throwing things away, maybe we wouldn't have the landfills that we're dealing with right now. Like maybe that is a different orientation. Oh gosh. Yes. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. And, and even, um, um, you know, again, in the household, that's the beauty of at least having this and going back to that uh, awareness of all things, having a spirit that is, Part, that is a big part of the work that I do with people in their homes is that awareness of their objects and, and to at least bring them to the place of that, of the awareness of that they have a feeling about this object that they may not know is holding energy, if that, if that makes sense, you know, just mm-hmm. to, to de- definitely to bring them to that place. And, and they do, they just go there. <laughs> I do have a practice of, um, and I, again, this is, I, I, I just have to go back to, I want to say that it's so much, I, I see now so much of my life and my work uh, prior, to my, my work uh, that I spent uh, a large part of my life doing as an early childhood educator, how it really has informed the work that I do now. I, you know, I, I don't know if you've had that experience for yourself, but I see this. And um, the reason I'm saying this is because I, I used to have a practice every day of walking into my kindergarten and saying, hello, little room. Good morning, little room. And I have to tell you, when parents went into the to the spaces, to the early childhood spaces, they would inhale, you know, and say, "Oh my gosh, wow!" 
Uh, and, you know, I wish I had this. I, you know, and that is part of what I create with people. And when I do come home to my home here, I do say, hello, little house. Hello, little house. Hello, plants. You know, and, and I and I feel good and I feel happy when I do that. And I think my home feels happy. <laughs> oh my gosh, that just that just brightens up my whole heart to hear that. And I just want that too. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious for many people who are probably home more than they've ever been. Um, and it's hard to know if the quarantine will still be under effect when this podcast comes out. But I imagine that either way, there's a lot of instability in the world and we are spending a bit more time at home. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions or tips for families in how to maintain harmony in their home during this very um, unusual time, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. And I, I have had some families reach out to me and ask me that very question because um, there is especially with some of the families that I work with who have not, uh, their children are not steeped in, uh, media as much as perhaps some children, some children who are really much more in mainstream education. And so it has been a struggle with the, the media and how, you know, all of the, you know, the zoom classrooms and the, all of this that's happening, um, it has been pretty stressful for some. And, and even if it's not, even if you're used to it, I think it's really important that there is a day of no media, mm -hmm. if that is possible. Is it, you know, sometimes it's not, but a day of no media, of like really setting down the device, setting down the phone. Maybe that's a Saturday, like, okay, we're going to let the computer rest. We're going to let our phones rest. And we're actually just going to go outside. And if you can't go anywhere because it's not safe or, or, you know, whatever the reason is to at least go outside of your home, you know, into your backyard, if that's possible, or take a walk around the block, you know, hold hands and, um, you know, whatever feels safe to you, but as much as possible, um, offset the screen time with nature, you know, with being in nature. Now, if you're in the, if you're in a situation where you can't leave your home or you don't feel comfortable do it, doing that, and I have worked with one person who's just not ready to do that yet. They live in a tiny little apartment in, in the city. And one of the things I've told them was then just commune with your house plants, you know, talk to them, wash the leaves, whatever, but to allow the media to rest and to ground yourself with that as much as you can. I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is to like offset the screen time. Oh, also uh, humor, humor, levity, flexibility, humor, 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 lots of laughing and jokes. And you know what? And if, if the, if you're, for example, if your child, uh, one of the things I've been telling these families, hopefully I don't get in trouble from the school system for this, but if your child is resistant to that screen time and saying, I can't, you know, it's okay. It's okay. They are going to be just fine if they just are able to take that time away, to step away, to go outside, to snuggle with you, to read a book, to, to laugh, to be silly, you know, whatever cartwheels to, you know, wrestle around with you. It's okay. 
just like, you know, let to be, to really be flexible in this time with our children and the, this, the, what they're being called to do as far as education. I think the flexibility and the humor is super important. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And are there any things you'd recommend for clearing the home given how much more we are in the home? I mean, I find myself cleaning a lot more, or maybe I'm just noticing how much I'm cleaning. Maybe I always did, but we're just, we're all kind of here and, and we're cooking a lot and there's just a lot happening. And I wonder if there's any, I mean, we're doing like, you know, burning juniper and cedar and just kind of opening the windows and making sure there's movement in our house. Uh, but yeah, are there any other tips you have? Well, I think that sounds great. And I think really, if you are burning things at home to really, it's, I think it's super important, um, uh, to just have a sensitivity around misappropriation. I just want to say that and to, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure that, that you are using that which you have a connection to or that your indigenous bloodline has a connection to. And if you feel like, well, I don't know what that is, well then, you know, open the windows, sing, sing, play music. Um, You can also, you know, spray with, um, you know, lemon water, like, you know, lemon and salt or something like this, you know, make yourself some type of uh, you know, a spray, if you have the ability to do that in your home or, or where you are, but to, uh, you know, um, there are so many things that, that we can actually clear the air with to cleanse the home with, um, you know, it, it can be very practical things. Like you're saying, like literally like cleaning surfaces <laughs> and spaces, you know, changing sheets, you know, whatever washing sheets, but it can also be, yeah, we're going to open the windows. We're going to play some beautiful music and we're going to let this kind of flow through our home here, light a candle, you know, um, sing together. Any of those things are really beautiful. And for those who would like to find out more about your work uh, where can we find you online? Oh, well, you can go to tendthenest.com and you can certainly, um, you can find me there. That is my website or Alice at Tend the Nest. You can um, certainly um, shoot me a little email there. I'm happy to talk to people and, and to, um, yeah, guide people in their work. Well, thank you so much. This is such an enlightening conversation and I'm looking forward to greeting my house now every day and so many more things that I've learned. So thank you so much. Yes, I really appreciate this time with you and uh, yeah, and for being able to to talk about this this aspect of my life that I'm super excited about. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. You can hear other episodes on moontent.co or subscribe to the Moonwise podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. You can also leave a comment on the Moonwise Sisterhood group in Facebook. Our theme music is by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding. You can find her online at voicealchemy.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.